The Old Testament lesson today is Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there, over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The word of the Lord. A reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. 
نسمام يتكلمون بألسنتنا بأعظائم الله فتعير الجميع وارتائب قائلين بعضهم لبعض ما حسي أن يكون هذا وكان أخرون يستعزون قائلين إنهم قد امتلوا سلفاء And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another What does this mean? But others mocking said They are filled with new wine But Peter standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them فوقف بطرس ملآد عشر ورفع صوته وقال لهم أيها الرجال اليهود والساكنون في أورشليم أجمعون ليكن معلوما عندكم وأزقوا على كلامي لأن هؤلاء ليسوا السكار كما أنتم تظنون لأن الساعة الثالثة من النهار Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem let this be known to you and give ear to my words For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. بل هذا ما قيل بيؤيل النبي يقول الله ويكون في الأيام الأخيرة إني أسكب من روحي على كل بشر. And it in in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. فيتنبون بنوكم وبناتكم And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the hearing of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, 
This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Today we celebrate Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, God's promises to his people are renewed and revitalized. At Pentecost, God blessed his people because he loves them, but he also blessed his people so that they could tell his story and be a blessing to the world. Let me pray for us as we open God's word together. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be with us, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the words of the scripture that we're about to look at, the same Holy Spirit that descended in the sound of a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire on these ordinary men and women 2,000 years ago. We ask you to... Open my mouth to speak your truth, open our ears to hear your truth, and to to quicken our hands and our feet to live out that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you brought a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it to Acts 2, looking at the story of Pentecost. At Pentecost, we see a further glimpse of what life together will actually look like once Christ comes again. But in order to see what really happened that day, 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, we need to kind of back up and take a little bit of a running start. And we need to back up all the way to the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 1, verse 28, by the end of, by the end of chapter 1 of Genesis, God had already created the entire universe. He created the light and the dark, the sun and the moon and the stars. He made the water, the sky, and the dry land, and then he had filled each of those things with fish and with birds and with animals. And finally, he created human beings. He created mankind in his image. The one part of creation that's the actual icon of the creator and with with worth and dignity and purpose in that image bearing. In the middle of a garden paradise, God set apart for himself one family, Adam and Eve, and he gave them a role, and he gave them a task. And so in Genesis 1.28, it says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, Adam and Eve were starting in this garden paradise. And the rest of creation does not yet have the the glory of this perfect communion with the creator, the orderly rule and reign of his image bearers. And so what God is saying to Adam and Eve is your job is to go. It's basically the key word in any of these kind of sending texts. Your job is to go because your job, Adam and Eve, is to make the rest of the world look like this. Fast forward eight chapters in Genesis. In Genesis 9, mankind was more wicked than they ever had been before or ever has been since. And God, again, set apart one family for himself, Noah and Mrs. Noah and their three kids and their three kids' daughters, or their three kids' wives. God set them apart. He drew them to himself and he shepherded them and he instructed them and he taught them. He took care of them and he was with them. 
And so what was the command that God gave to that family that he had set apart as soon as the floodwaters receded and as soon as they came out of the ark? It was the exact same thing he said to Adam and Eve. He said, go. Genesis 1, verse 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, go. I've called you out. I've set you apart for myself, Noah and Mrs. Noah and your three kids and their three wives. You are my covenant family, and I have blessed you, and I have protected you. Now go and make the rest of the world look like that. God blesses and he sends. He blesses and then he sends. It's the pattern over and over again. He doesn't give us a job and send us out and then we've done a good job. Then he pats us on the head and blesses us. He blesses us and then he commissions us. Go and make the rest of the world look like this. Then what happens next is very interesting. Skip all the way from Genesis 9 to Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry, from Genesis 9 to Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, we have the story of Babel that we just heard. In Genesis 11, the people of the earth all still spoke one language, and they decided to try and glorify themselves. They spoke one language, and they could get together, and they could do things together. And in coming together, they decided that instead of glorifying the Creator, they wanted to glorify themselves. And it's clear that they had forgotten God's command to go. Genesis 1.28, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. God is saying, the world is mine because I made it, and you're going to go take care of it for me. But in Genesis 11, verse 4, the people get together and they say, come, let us build a city for ourselves with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be dispersed across the face of the earth. So God says to his people, go, and the people say, no, we're not going to go. We're going we're to come together. Otherwise, we'll be scattered. And God says, oh, really? Okay. So they're trying to build this great structure that's going to pierce the sky, and the text says that God has to come down even in order to see it. So he comes down, he sees what they're going to do, and he confuses their language. With a snap of his fingers, poof, all of a sudden, okay, you guys can't understand each other. Now what are you going to do? What's up? You're probably going to get out of here, aren't you? You're probably going to scatter. And Genesis 11 says, therefore, the name of the city was called Babel. Babel means he confused. Because there the Lord confused the language of the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. They couldn't talk to each other anymore. So what were they going to do hanging out with each other? They might as well go, which is what God told him in the first place. And so the people's plans were thwarted, but God's plans continued. Because the God who created everything is not about to be disrupted in his plan for his creation. At the Tower of Babel, we see confusion coming out of order. But at Pentecost, we see order coming out of confusion. Now, Pentecost happened during an Old Testament festival called the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of First Fruits. It was the time to celebrate the harvest. It was the time to praise God for how he provides for us with this harvest. And it's no accident that the Holy Spirit descending on the, on the, the Holy Spirit descending happened during this, during this feast of the harvest. 
God chose to launch his New Testament church during a feast celebrating this new harvest. And Jesus himself had said that, they need to, that his followers need to pray earnestly for workers to send out into the harvest. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so the disciples had been waiting and praying, waiting and praying. At the end of Luke's gospel, they'd been told by Jesus to wait in the city, in Jerusalem, until they were clothed with power by the Holy Spirit. So they'd been sheltering in place. They'd been trusting in the words of John 14 that we just heard read. Jesus said to his followers, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, the world won't see me anymore, but you will still see me. And because I live, you will also live. And his disciples trusted that. And so here they are in this weird in-between space, just waiting. Over the last year, I feel like a lot of us have started to understand what kind of waiting in a weird in-between space might feel like. So here are the disciples waiting in this in-between time. But they trusted in the promises of Jesus because every other single thing that he had said to them so far had come true. They trusted in God's promise. And on this day, on this Pentecost day, when the Holy Spirit comes, this wind and fire and a gathering of people together, this was the beginning of the first fruits of that harvest that Jesus had spoken about. And when the Holy Spirit came, it was absolutely unmistakable. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, verse 6. The Holy Spirit descended on them with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And then it says, and they were all amazed and perplexed and they said to each other, what does this mean? What does this mean? It means that God is bringing order out of confusion. And it means that God is once again having this pattern of blessing and sending of equipping and commissioning. It means that God's mission in his creation is still going forward. And it means that what happened at Babel is reversing. It's why the Genesis 11 text is read out almost every Pentecost. Because Pentecost was a reversal of what happened at Babel. It means that instead of scattering people by dividing them, God is now scattering people by unifying them. And that sounds like a paradox, but it isn't. He's carrying out his mission of restoration in his creation by unifying us in the Holy Spirit, by unifying us and uniting each one of us with Christ, and then scattering us to fill out his command to tell the world. And my iPad has just overheated, so we are going to switch to my phone. This is, and in his head, Aubrey is going, this is why we don't use technology, Jay. (laughs) Paper doesn't overheat. Well, it does when there's fire, and then it comes down as tongues, and it lands on each one. Talk amongst yourselves. Shush. All right, here we go. So, God promised and God delivered. 
Jesus said later in John that it's good that he was actually going away. And the disciples probably couldn't understand that. But Jesus said, it's good that I'm going away because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. And it's the Holy Spirit that unites each one of us in a, in a way that we will never fully understand this side of glory, that unites each one of us to Christ. And so every single Christian has what, what theologians call union with Christ or what the Apostle Paul used to call being in Christ or with Christ. And we, when we believe in Christ, we actually have that same Holy Spirit in us, the same power that was brought to the disciples that day. We have that within us, and it fills us. This is the gift promised by Jesus. This is the gift demonstrated in a radical and memorable way at Pentecost. At Pentecost, God's promises are renewed and revitalized. And at Pentecost, God blesses his people because he loves them, but he also blesses his people to equip them so that they could go tell his story and be a blessing to others. And so we all, all of us, each of us, gets to add our voice to that story. To all the other churches out there who are leaning on God's truth and trusting in God's promises, we all of us collectively get to tell that story. Confidently, humbly, prophetically, but lovingly. Because the mission of God is the work of the church. And part of the mission of God is to be ambassadors for his kingdom to be a light in a dark and broken world. And as ambassadors, it's, it's incumbent on us that we don't turn inwards on ourselves and just celebrate this joy that we have found. Let me tell you my one Pentecost story. So a lot of you, some of you know that I was out of the church for most of my adult life from age about 19 to about 37. But a year before I came back to faith, God had already started kind of tugging at my heart occasionally. So for some reason, a year before I got divorced, I got it into my head that my first wife and I should, should try to go to church. There was a Lutheran church about a block from where we were living in Fort Lauderdale, and she had grown up Lutheran, and so I figured this might be kind of an easy sell. I managed to convince her to go, but as we went, she said, and I actually agreed with her, she said, I'm really afraid that we're going to stand out. I'm really afraid that we're not going to be welcome. She was worried about being uncomfortable, and frankly, so was I. But I did what I always do when I'm worried about being uncomfortable. I dismissed it with kind of false bravado and say, oh, no, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be fine. We'll just slip in the back. We'll fit right in. So one Sunday morning in June, we walk a few blocks from our house into this Lutheran church. Now, it just so happened that we were going on the day of the Feast of Pentecost. Now, in some denominations, it's customary that everybody in the church wears red on Pentecost. Not just the, not just the pastors with their stoles, but the entire congregation. And so it didn't happen this way, but this is, I swear, how I remember it. We're going up to the door of the church, and as I'm putting my hand, my, my hand on the, the handle of the church, the handle of the door, I said to her one last time, it's all going to be fine. We're just going to fit right in. And we open the door, and it looks like a scene from Handmaid's Tale, because it's just a sea of red. And we're just there in, in jeans and t-shirts. And I just, I, again, it didn't happen this way, but I remember it happening this way, that all heads turned and looked at us at the same time. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't wear red on Pentecost. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be traditions that we have in the church where we celebrate the things that God has done for us. 
we should have joy in the blessings that God has given us. But do you see in these texts, in Genesis 1, in Genesis 9, and in Acts 2, that God's blessing is for us, but God's blessing is also missional? When we live as people united to Christ and filled with this spirit of truth, part of that spirit of truth is the conviction that we need to share this story with others. And the people in that church that day, that Pentecost day, they were perfectly nice in the same way that most people in most churches are perfectly nice. But I would have loved it if one of them, having noticed our discomfort, had said, if you think this is weird, do you know what we actually believe? Do you know that we actually believe that a God that created the universe came down and became an actual human being? And then he died? And then he wasn't dead anymore? And now still in that God-man combination, perfect human being, perfect God body, he's somewhere in this world and he's going to come again. And he's going to take all the evil and terrible things in this world and destroy them. And he's going to remake creation and we get to be with him forever. And that's the story that we get to tell. Because that's the story that we tell when we scatter. We didn't hear this read out, but... The rest of the sermon that Peter preaches on that Pentecost day was a presentation of the gospel. It was a a clear presentation of the gospel of the kingdom of God. He says that Jesus came in fulfillment of the scriptures, in fulfillment of the promises that God had made to his people. He says that Jesus was killed. He actually says, this Jesus whom you crucified, this same Jesus was resurrected. He rose again, and he has been exalted to the right hand of God. And the people hearing this were so convicted by that story that they said to one another, Brothers, what should we do in response to this? And Peter said, in effect, come on in. Come on in to this covenant family that God has set apart for himself. Everybody is invited. He said, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Come into the family of faith. And you too, he said, you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive this same thing that we have received. You will receive this union with the risen Christ. But if we're going to take this message of Jesus seriously, if we're going to take this passage in Acts 2 seriously, then there is a go aspect to being blessed by God. God blesses us because he loves us, and he blesses us to equip us for the work that he has given us to do. We are his image bearers, his ambassadors. And we can't take it lightly or dismiss that or assume that the work of the kingdom of God is just for people who've been specially trained. This is the job of ordinary, everyday people. When we heard Acts 2 read, the people were so surprised that the ones speaking in other languages were Galileans. Galileans were kind of, for the city folk of Jerusalem, Galileans were just country bumpkins. And so that was half the reason they were surprised. They could have understood it if an enlightened, if an educated person was speaking in another language. But these these country people? But that's the work of the gospel. It is for ordinary, everyday people. It is for you and it is for me. And we cannot take that lightly. People who God has called to himself to be part of his family 
are brothers and sisters in his blood. We are one body, we share one bread, and God says to us, now go and make the rest of the world look like this. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.